Thank you for tuning in to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. To keep connected with us, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and join our Calvary Connection. The vision of our church is to make Jesus famous. When Jesus is famous, everything changes, and he becomes our passion because his love is better than life. Today's message is from our monthly growth nights that are on the first Sunday of every month at 5.30 p.m. Before I get started, I just want you, whoever's here, put it in your notebooks right now. Um, I'm going to give you the dates for the women's conference because I know they'll start advertising it like way later. And um, that's good. But sometimes our calendars get so full that by the time the advertisements start going out and they start promoing it, you guys are already busy. So... Um, put on your calendars, save the date for, let me look at it right here, um, October 14th, that's a Friday night, and then the 15th, okay? That's going to be our women's conference. We have a really great speaker coming out this year. I'm really excited to have her here with us, and she's going to have a great word from, for us from um, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it's just going to be a really, really sweet time, so Mark them on your calendar. Mark it on your calendars now. Save the date, October 14th and 15th. Um, it'll be like Friday night and Saturday, just through the afternoon. So not Saturday night. Okay. Now, if you want to get your Bibles out, turn in your Bibles. Um, we're actually going to park it in one verse tonight, um, but I'll get there in a minute. So have you guys ever noticed when I was getting ready for this teaching, it was really um, surprising to me and fun to kind of discover this, but have you ever noticed that there are tons of references in scripture to building stuff? Like lots and lots of scripture about building things. God is really into building things. So like we have Genesis, we have the story of the ark, right? Like that's a big build right there. Um, There's 17 different altars that got built and talked about in the early uh, Genesis, Exodus kind of books. Um, There's like tons of details about how the tabernacle is supposed to be built, right? And then when Solomon goes and he builds the temple, there's even more chapters that are super detailed about how the temple is supposed to be built, even the stuff inside the tabernacle and the temple. Then there's all the stories about Ezra and Nehemiah and how they rebuilt the temple, how they built the walls. There's people who built whole cities. There's people who are encouraged to build houses. There is a lot of building in scripture. And then even in the New Testament, there's this whole word that we're going to talk about at the women's gathering in two Fridays. Come out to that too. Um, I'm not teaching Denise Colazzo's. It's going to be great. Um, There's this whole word called edification, which is another building word, and it means building up people. So we've got arcs and altars and temples and tabernacles and houses and people. God talks about building a lot. Okay, so now you can turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs 14.1. That is another building project that the Lord talks about in Scripture. Here's what it says. Proverbs 14.1 says this, a wise woman builds her house. Yeah, a wise woman builds her house, but a fo- the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Like Janine said, the theme for our night tonight together is Jesus' famous women serve their homes for Christ. We're going to approach that whole idea straight from this proverb, Proverbs 14.1. We serve our homes for Christ by building them. Let's take a minute to kind of define what a home builder is. In Proverbs 14.1, it's just figurative. It's not literal, right? We're not talking about wise women who are architects or construction workers, right? So what does it mean that we build a home? And honestly, this proverb is not super specific. It could mean a lot of different things. It's not exclusive to one thing. So in building a home, we could be talking about, in wise home building, we could be talking about maybe the tone of your home. Like, what does it feel like to come into your home? Is it welcoming? Is it full of grace? Is it a nurturing and generous kind of environment? What's the tone of your home? We could talk about that with home building. We could talk about building 
a well-functioning home. We could talk about, you know, how do you keep things in order? When does your house get cleaned and the yard work get done and the food get shopped for and the meals get prepared? And when does everyone's schedule get organized and communicated like a well-functioning home? And that's really important too. We could talk about that tonight, but we're not going to. We're going to focus on people. And there was already a little spoiler alert, right? We're going to talk about kids. So we're going to talk about how to build our homes by building our children. And anyone who's a parent in the room, especially a parent who has children still in the home, you know that your kids are kind of the center, right? They're sort of the heart of the home. So again, Proverbs 14.1, they could be talking about any part of the home, but we're going to talk about it with motherhood. So we could even rephrase Proverbs 14.1 to say this. A wise woman builds her home by building her children. And a foolish woman tears down her home by tearing down her children with her own hands. Now, I realize that there's a lot of married people without kids in the room or a lot of single people without kids in the room. And there are wise principles in scripture for you about how to build the homes that you're living in. I hope that some of the principles that we're gonna talk about tonight can even kind of cross over and be a little bit of an inspiration to you. But that said, we're gonna study three big ideas about motherhood or home building tonight, okay? First, we're gonna talk about how wise women who build their homes wisely, the foundation must be Christ. And then second, we're gonna see how building our children, building our homes, building our children, it's an active, not a passive work. And then finally, we're gonna study how building homes is selfless. It requires selflessness. Before we get to those main points though, let's spend a minute thinking about this proverb a little bit more. Now, I love the proverbs because they're really straightforward, right? They're pretty clear, they're pretty obvious, and they also give us a really good visual a lot of times about what they're talking about. So the visual in this proverb is pretty clear, right? We have two women, one is wise, one is foolish, and the wise woman here, she's building her home. I mean, can you picture her? Maybe she's got a hard hat on and a tool belt. Maybe she's got safety goggles on. And we're watching her, and there she is. She's working and building. She's adding to her home step by step. She's being careful. She's being intentional. And over time, because of her thoughtful and steady work, she's built a home. That's pretty impressive. And then over here we have the visual of the other woman, the foolish woman, It's a pretty stark contrast. It's a warning of our own potential. And I think it's crazy what she's doing if you really think about it. She's actually tearing apart the things she's supposed to be living in with her own hands. Like she's literally pulling the roof off and shattering the windows and breaking down the doors. The things she's supposed to be living in that's supposed to keep her safe. She's tearing it down herself. It's the craziest picture to me. One, building something super valuable. The other, doing, tearing down the exact same thing. I think it shows us that these women, they have a lot of power and influence in their situations. And again, at any time, we actually have the potential to be either one. So of course, this proverb, it's meant to communicate a really clear message. It's pretty obvious, like I said, the proverbs are pretty obvious. Be the wise woman who builds her home. Don't be the foolish woman who tears it down. I think we all get that pretty plainly. But if you're anything like me, my immediate response is like, okay, I got it. I'm convinced. How can I be the wise builder? What do I do? Give me a checklist. How could I not be the foolish woman? What do I do? What do I avoid? Give me the not to do checklist. And I just want to tell you two things about that that feeling tonight. One is, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about that stuff. And while God does not give us these ultra-specific instructions on parenting like he did to Solomon when he was building the temple, he does have principles in Scripture for us, big truths and little truths that can help us to be wise moms to our kids. But on the other hand, on the other hand, 
It's so important that we remember that we can't. We can never do the wise building on our own. You guys, we are absolutely and entirely, completely dependent on the grace of God and our parenting efforts. We will never always avoid being the foolish woman. We'll never do that. We'll never always succeed at being the wise woman, no matter how much we know, no matter how hard we try to do the right thing and avoid doing the wrong thing. At the end of the day, we're going to fail because we're weak, because we have a sin nature that we wrestle with. We absolutely need the grace of God to build our children We need the grace of God to forgive us for our regular failures and to strengthen us to be able to do the good work. The truth is when you read Proverbs rightly, they should make us go running to the cross of Jesus. They should bring us straight to the beautiful gospel of God. Because what I mean is they give us this opportunity to see, wow, that is so good. That is so true. That is so right. My heart wants to celebrate that and be that and do that. But it's also this really strong, stark reminder of how easily we fall short, right? And that, <laughs> that reality, it should just send us with gratitude right back to Jesus, where we can be refreshed again with forgiveness, where we can be filled with hope again, that he can make us stronger over time because of the cross. So as we talk about parenting tonight, man, the very best place for us to be is to really love the wise building principles we're gonna see from scripture, but to recognize that we're going to fall short and where we fall short regularly, and then to run to Jesus for grace, for forgiveness and strength. Psalm 127, one says this, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, not me, not you, not a good parenting book, but unless the Lord builds the house, he that builds it labors in vain. So we are entirely dependent on God for this beautiful work and let's cling, let's cling to his grace as we look at these ideas. All right, idea number one, to be a wise home builder, to be a wise child builder, our foundation must be Christ. All right, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11, it tells us this very thing. Listen to this. By the grace that God has given to me, I laid a wise foundation as a wise builder. All this building stuff I told you. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is Paul. He wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. And he's talking to the church about the value of different people adding different things to a ministry work. And he tells them that God called him to be the one to build the foundation, to set the base for everything in that ministry that was gonna be built upon it. And he said the base, the foundation was Jesus. Well, what was true for Paul in building a church is true for any ministry work especially for us as moms in parenting. We've got to insist that the foundation of our building is Jesus Christ. I mean, what does that really mean though, right? I heard a pastor recently say, and I can't stop thinking about this. I heard a pastor recently say that his goal, no matter what he was doing, whether he was teaching or just meeting with people, no matter what he was doing, his goal was to put the people's hands into the hands of Jesus. And I think that's the perfect picture of Jesus being the foundation of our children. That in everything, we as moms, we just take their hands and we put them into the hands of Jesus. Let's look a little deeper at that. Okay. So putting our kids' hands into the hands of Jesus, it definitely means that we teach them about Jesus, right? So from the earliest ages, when they're tiny all the way to their teenagers, 
We're teaching them about Jesus. We're having conversations with them about Jesus. We're, we're reading books to them about him and teaching them songs about him. We're talking about his life and his birth and his miracles and the things he taught. But there's something more to Jesus being the foundation than just his biography. When Paul laid the foundation of Jesus to the Corinthian church, he wasn't just teaching Jesus's biography or explaining Jesus's teachings. Nope. He was establishing for them that everything in life is dependent upon a person's understanding of Jesus's gospel, of the gospel, of people's understanding of their need for Jesus to rescue them from themselves. That is our foundation for parenting. If we want to be wise women who build our children, we have to begin with understanding that, that all of us, moms, dads, kids, our greatest need is Jesus. And we can have him freely and forever. Everything in motherhood has to come from that as our base. So that means that we have to believe ourselves deeply and we have to communicate in everything that we do, hey, you can't be close to God without Jesus. You cannot experience life like it was made to be experienced without Jesus. You can't be who you were actually meant to be without him. It means that we believe ourselves and that we communicate to our kids in everything that Jesus's work on the cross, it was for our eternal salvation, but that's not all. Jesus's work on the cross made it possible for us to live the life that we were created for, the best life possible. We gotta believe that and then teach it to our kids. It means that we believe with everything inside of us and we communicate to our kids in everything that Jesus alone is the key that opens the door to all of that. Good morals, they can't do it. Freedom from rules and expectations. They can't bring that kind of life. A combination of me plus Jesus that can't bring that kind of life. Only acknowledging that we're broken and lost without Jesus. Only acknowledging us as moms and dads and kids that we need him for everything, but that he's available to us in everything. If we invite him in, that is when we can experience the grace of God. That's what it means to teach our kids the gospel. And where do good morals fit into all of this? Because that's part of our job as moms, right? Most moms, we wanna teach our kids what's right and wrong. So how do we do that through the lens of the gospel of grace? Well, we absolutely teach them what is true and right and good. We teach them what is wrong and what is gonna hurt them. We train them and discipline them to put these things deep in their heart but all throughout that effort, all of it, from the time they're toddlers to the time they're teenagers, we put their hands into the hands of Jesus. So we teach them what's good and right, but we also show them, and usually it's by their own actions, how much they fall short of it. And we're not mad at them for that. We say, that's why you need Jesus. And we show them that they're forgiven with Jesus and that with Jesus, they can get stronger over time. Like take something as simple as teaching a, a kid about honesty. As moms, it's important that we teach these things to our kids, right? That pain comes from being dishonest. But even still, as much as we might teach them and try to do that right, inevitably you're gonna catch a little one lying. What does it mean to have Jesus as the foundation in that moment? Well, it means that we confront the child and we tell them, hey, in a gentle and loving way, this is gonna hurt you. It might even mean we give them a consequence. But with Jesus as the foundation, here's what also happens. We tell them that the lie is just evidence that they need Jesus. It's just evidence that we can't be good alone, truly good, all the way good alone apart from him. We remind them of the cross and show them how it proves how much he loves them and he forgives them. And then we encourage them with the hope that with Jesus' spirit in them, they can be stronger at caring about being a person who tells the truth and having the courage to do it more. 
And can you see how that kind of parenting is so grace-filled? It's not shaming children for their sin. It's just an opportunity when they sin to bring them and their little hands or their big hands into the hands of Jesus. I think with Jesus as the foundation of our home, it should also produce a lot of humility. Here's what I mean. When we as moms get the gospel ourselves, when Jesus is our personal foundation, we will be keenly aware of our own sin and weakness, and it will produce a regular humility in us. When we parent and teach and train and lead, it'll come from this place of empathy and humility because it'll be like, you sinned, I get it, I do that too. And you sinned again, and I get it, because I do that too. And while we should be maturing over time, and there is this sense that we're on the same page, that we're all sinners in need of grace and forgiveness. Because you and I, we need Jesus just as much as our children do. And we can tell them that. Having humility in parenting, it doesn't mean that we excuse their bad behavior. Like, well, I get it, so it's no big deal. But it just adds compassion and understanding to the reality of the struggle of sin. So as you correct and lead and challenge and discipline your children, do it with humility, recognizing your own regular need for grace. And also, parenting with humility means that we ask our children regularly for forgiveness. We just admit to them when we've been impatient, when we've had a bad attitude, when we've been short-tempered or unfair or overly emotional or wronged them in any way, we admit it to them, we apologize to them, we ask them for forgiveness. And finally, I think when Jesus is our foundation in parenting, it gives our, our parenting the best purpose because we get to point our kids to the greatest source of meaning and identity, and life. So we have to believe this ourselves. We do. We have to believe this ourselves, but then we get to show our kids how good it is to be loved by God, to be made by him, to be called by him, to know him, that it's better than creating our own identity than to be loved by anybody else, that it's better than being accepted by people that it's better than finding a life apart from him. Jesus, he gives us the best identity. He gives our lives purpose and meaning. And when he's the foundation of our parenting, we get to tell our kids that. So moms, at every age and at every stage, put your children's hands into the hands of Jesus. When they fail, bring them to him. When they're discouraged, put their hands in his. When they feel lonely or unloved, show them what he thinks of them. Make his grace and his goodness and his love. Let it cover everything that you do. All right. Now we know that being a wise builder means having Jesus as our foundation. I hope I've given you a pretty good idea of what that looks like. Let's move on to point number two, okay? Wise mothering, this work of building our kids, it's got to be an active work. I mean, think about anything, right? Building a home. It's obvious that in order to accomplish building a home, people have to be physically working. The job is never going to get done with a bunch of people sitting around. Well, the same is true in parenting. Listen to some of the action words that the scripture uses to talk about parenting. Train. Disciple teach, tell, love, shepherd. Those are verbs, action words, intentional activity. But maybe some of you are thinking, um, duh, (laughs) I know parenting is active. I am exhausted from it. I can't sit around watching TV and expect my baby to be fed or my toddler to be safe or my son to get to his soccer practice. I am totally exhausted. I want you to consider with me tonight something more than all of that. Because yes, a big part of raising kids is making sure that they're fed and safe and clothed. 
They get to school and their swim lessons. But our jobs as moms is so much more than that. We are not workers just building the exterior of a home. God has called you and me to interior design. We are called to play a major role in building our child's hearts. Building a heart that cannot be accomplished by doing nothing. Their hearts can't be ignored or neglected. We have an active job to do. So let's look at a few ways that we can actively build up our children's hearts. Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now that's not a promise and it's not a guarantee. A proverb is just like a general truth about life. But can't you see that call to action in it? Train, train up a child. And if we're focusing on this interior design, then we're called to train hearts. I hope you know that hearts are trainable. Our hearts, mine and yours and our children's, they're trainable. Our hearts, what we want, what we think is important, what we love, that all can be moved and inspired and changed. And because, because our hearts are so vulnerable to what we see and what we hear and what we feel, they actually have to be trained. Trained so that we love what God says is worth loving. And trained so that we want what God says is valuable. And trained so that we care about what God says is important. Now, please don't hear me wrong. We cannot control our children's hearts. Sheesh, I can't control my own heart. <laughs> but we can influence them and we can shape them and we can cultivate them by training. Man, I really hope you walk away from our time together tonight with a vision for this. One of the most important jobs you have in your child's life is to train their heart, to help them to love what God says is worth loving, to want what he says is valuable, to care about what he says is important. Listen to this definition of training. It's really simple. To train is to be taught through instruction and practice over a period of time. That's it. To be taught through instruction and practice over a period of time. So if we took that definition and we put it into our parenting, it means we can shape what our children love and want and value by teaching them and having them practice what they got taught over and over again. If we think about it that way, training is made up of three things, teaching, discipline, and time. And remember, it's an active, not a passive effort. So let's talk about teaching. Of course, anything that you're trained in, you're gonna need teaching for, right? Like you can't learn to play the piano and you can't learn a new computer program unless someone first gives you some instruction. So part of our job as mamas is to train our kids' hearts just by teaching them, to actively, regularly teach them about God, his word, his love, his grace, what is good, what is true, what is bad, what is false, what is worth love and attention and what is not. Moses told the children of Israel to do it in Deuteronomy 6. Here's what he said. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house. This is some active and regular instruction. The psalmist in Psalm 78, he said, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. Our fathers have told us, listen to this, we will not hide them from our children, 
telling them the generation to come of the praises of the Lord, of his strength and the wonderful works he has done. So we train our kids' hearts by teaching them the truth of God's word, by telling them the wonderful things that he has done. And please, moms, gosh, don't shy away from this. Don't shy away from this. I know that it's easier at certain ages. I do. But I want to encourage you tonight to find ways to effectively teach your children at every age. There are honestly so many amazing resources out there. If you don't know them, ask Pastor Matt or Nate or I've got a few or ask a friend that you know is a great mom and ask her what she read and how she did it. There are great resources out there for how we can get the diet of God's word into our kids' hearts. But don't neglect this beautiful chance to shape their hearts regularly. Training our children's hearts also involves discipline, though. Just like the process of learning anything involves some natural and sometimes some forced consequences, parenting does include discipline. Hebrews 12:11 teaches this, that discipline produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. <laughs> Proverbs is full of telling us about the value of correction and consequences and discipline in parenting because it really is this key component But for some of us here tonight, discipline is an ugly word. Maybe because of sins committed against you or others in the name of discipline. You cannot imagine how discipline could really do any good in building up a child. Maybe because in your family, discipline was harsh or unloving or petty or done in anger or reactive or inconsistent. And so you've shied away from including it in your own parenting. Or maybe, maybe you're just a little bit more saturated with advice about parenting that comes from outside sources rather than from the Bible. And so you've kind of been convinced to believe that, that um, discipline is actually harmful for your kids. And while I can honestly empathize with all of those positions, I want to show you another way. Because Hebrews 12 teaches us this. It's pretty remarkable. God proves that he loves us by disciplining us. It says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those that he loves. He punishes everyone that he accepts as a child. If discipline proves God's love for us, it cannot be harmful. It has to be good for our kids too. So rather than delete discipline from your parenting because it has done awful and sinful and really harmful things, let's look at some ways that you can discipline your children in ways that will build them up. Here's a few suggestions. Again, read some good Christian parenting books, maybe even specific to your child's age. Those kind of books, they can help you see what is a reasonable expectation for a child at a certain age. And they can help you see what is reasonable for the next stage to come and what you're aiming for. Because two-year-old is really different from a four or a six or an 11-year-old. So read some good books. Again, I encourage you to spend time with a believer who is doing this well. Find someone who's doing it well and have a coffee with them and ask them every question in the book and then do it again. <laughs> Um, aim for consequences that are reasonable, fair, not overwhelming, and they're also repeatable. Things like timeouts and taking away toys and taking away phones and taking away freedoms or adding an extra chore. They're just simple, repeatable, usually reasonable consequences. I'm just going to bust through these. They're fast. Number four, aim to deliver consequences in a way that is filled with grace both visually and verbally. That means a calm and loving and honest manner. On the flip side, you've got to avoid anger, yelling, sarcasm, eye rolling, deep sighs, arms crossed, eyes bulging. I've been there. <laughs> That's how it's so easy to write this list. All that that communicates to our kids is that we're mad at them, and we probably are. 
It does not communicate to you, to them, I love you. I'm rooting for you. I'm trying to help you to get better at something that is hurting you. With disciplines, aim to be as consistent as possible, number five. And then here's my last one. It's a big one. Come up with a plan. This is just me. This is not biblical, but it has proved so helpful for us. Come up with a plan. If you're married, do it together with your spouse. If you're a single mom, come up with a plan and then run it by some friends and see what they think. But come up with a plan for each stage that you're in with parenting. Make a plan that is concise, easy to understand, easily repeatable, and just have a few broad expectations, some clear consequences that will follow when those expectations are not met. Again, this is my advice and not scripture, but don't itemize every single wrong behavior and then feel like you need to come up with this amazing, unique, ultra-personal consequence that will fit that exact behavior. That's just gonna make discipline way harder than it already is. Try to stick with broad rules and broad, repeatable consequences. Like when our girls were young, We had four general rules. That's it. We even put them on our fridge. I can't even remember what they are now, except for I remember two. One was obey mommy and daddy (laughs) and be kind and loving. And like a lot of things fit into those two categories, right? There's a lot of disobedience and I can just say, hey, you weren't obeying mommy and daddy. Here's the consequence. Or, hey, that wasn't kind and loving. Now it's kind of a running joke in our family because they're older and they can laugh at some of our (laughs) rules. But... You're not being kind and loving, mom. Um, But just make them big and basic where a lot of different behaviors can fit in because kids need it really simple. And you need to be able to bring them back to a big and simple truth. And then together, Nate and I, we agreed on this plan when they disobeyed. And here were the steps. The first thing that happened if they didn't follow the rule was we made, it was kind of silly, but we read it in a book and it actually worked really good. It was a full eye contact they had to fold their hands, warning. So we had to make eye contact, they had to fold their hands, and it was a warning. Then next, there was a more lightweight consequence, and then if that consequence wasn't received, there was a more heavy-duty consequence. That was it. Three. Here's why the plan is helpful. Parenting is exhausting. And it's emotional. And both of those things get really in the way of doing discipline well. But if you have an already laid out plan, it helps you to not have to think so much in the heat of the moment, to not be moved by your emotion or your exhaustion quite so much. And also a plan, it helps two very different parents at least be sort of on the same page. You're probably still gonna argue a little bit about how to discipline, but at least if you have a plan, you have an approach that you've agreed on together. There's tons more great advice on parenting. Read up, ask up, but just don't neglect it. I mean, discipline, but don't neglect it and don't avoid it. It's really a key component in building your children's hearts. All right, we said three elements here. Uh, Discipline, teaching, time. Okay, a few years ago, a friend of mine and I, we set out to run a half marathon together. Half marathon, that's 13.1 miles. Okay, at the time I was running about three or four miles a couple times a week. Here's what's notable about the process. If you Google training plans for a half marathon, guess what? You do not run 13.1 miles the first week. Nope, not even in the first two weeks, not even in the first month, actually not even in the first 12 weeks. The first two weeks, the furthest that you run is four miles. Then the next two weeks, the furthest that you run is five. The goal is 13, and the first month, all you've run is five miles. That's your longest run. How is that going to help? But the program continues like that, incrementally adding one mile to each long run every two weeks until after 14 weeks, guess what? You can run 13 miles and most people can do it. That's the novice program and you can actually do it. You see, with time, with time, it really is possible to train and accomplish something pretty impressive. 
Most people in one day definitely cannot read about how to run a marathon, discipline themselves to go out and run a marathon, and then actually run that marathon. But with time, the training and the teaching, the persistent effort over a long period of time, they can do it. So, for children, as we seek to build them up, as we seek to train their hearts, we have always got to factor in time. The mentality of, I can't believe you would do this again. I have told you a million times. It just doesn't fit a training model of parenting. Exasperation and impatience of their sins and failures, that doesn't either. Because training is constant repetition over a long period of time. One of the best analogies I ever heard about parenting was from a conference we heard Uh, we went to a long time ago. And the speaker said that parenting was like making the the same process as making a crooked tree grow straight. I didn't know this, but here's how it works. When a tree is growing crooked and you want it to grow straight, what they do is they take something really strong and really sturdy and really straight and they take some ropes and they tie that tree up against the really straight and strong excuse me, strong thing. And then slowly over time, that tree starts to grow straighter and straighter. And then as there's like some slack in the rope, they tighten the ropes because it's getting straighter and straighter and straighter. Can you see how that could be a great analogy for parenting? Because our children are born crooked. (laughs) They got a sin nature. They have folly bound up in their hearts. It's not their fault. It's how we were all born, right? But as we tether them, strong to the strong and straight word of God, to the person of Jesus, as we teach them and discipline them over a long period of time, their hearts will get more and more aligned. We should expect our kids to sin. We should expect that they will fail and make wrong choices and disobey. We shouldn't be shocked by it. We should lovingly, patiently, teach and discipline them so that over time they will love and embrace Jesus in his ways. Okay, beyond training, we've got two more things for actively building up their hearts. Be an example. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 to be an example to the people he was leading. He said to be an example in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, The best leaders are living examples. So for us as moms, that means we aim to show our children by the way we live, how good it is to be loved by God. How good it is to walk in his ways. Show them, show them in how you treat their dad, how they should treat others. If you're patient and loving and encouraging towards your husband, they will learn to be patient and loving and encouraging towards others. If we're short-tempered and critical and rude to their dad, we're teaching them by our example that that's an acceptable way to treat other people. Show them by your lifestyle, where you read God's word and you pray and you go to church. They can see that walking with God, it's not just committing to a certain set of beliefs in your head, but it's regularly connecting with him in all these different ways. If you give generously as a family, include them in on it and they will learn the beauty of generosity by your example. On and on and on I could go, but I think you get the idea. Our example, our conduct, it's one of the most powerful and active ways that we build up our kids. They learn who to be and how to be by watching us. Okay, finally, probably the most important element of all in building our children. Love them. Love them. When Paul was writing to Pastor Titus in his book of Titus, or the book of Titus in our Bibles, he told them, he told him, sorry, to encourage the women to love their children. So while I'd like to think that all of us moms just naturally love our kids, verses like this, they kind of, kind of challenges my assumptions a little bit. 
there must be some part of loving our kids that's a little bit of a struggle. 1 Corinthians 13 teaches that even if I am supremely sacrificial or amazingly wise or able to speak beautifully to my kids, if I don't love them, none of it actually matters. So what does it mean to love our children? The word love in Titus 2, according to a scholarly article I found, and I'm going to quote it right now, the word love is referring to friendly or brotherly affection. It's a love driven by the will rather than passion and emotion. It is loyal and virtuous. Listen to this. It's a love that cherishes and enjoys. Man, I think a good question to ask ourselves regularly is this. Do my kids feel loved by me in this way? Do they sense that I like them? Do they feel my enjoyment of them? Do they feel like I'm happy to be around them? Do I communicate in spoken and unspoken ways that they are a treasure to me? Or maybe the opposite kinds of questions are good to ask. Do I feel like my kids are a burden? Are they an impossible responsibility? Do I feel like they're in the way of the life that I really want? Do I always want to escape from them? Is the time that I spend with them filled with internal eye rolls and deep breaths and a struggle to not be constantly annoyed by them? Do I love my children in an affectionate and cherishing and enjoying kind of way? Look, I promise you that I know how hard child raising can be. I really do. I know that an attitude of enjoyment can be a real struggle at times. I mean, let's face it, nobody is enjoyable all of the time, right? Not you either. But, <laughs> and there's really nothing wrong with needing regular breaks apart from your children. That actually can be a healthy way to cultivate and maintain good affection for them. But overall, what is the general disposition of my heart? Is it glad to be with my kids? Guys, they need your approval. They need your affection, your enjoyment of them. They need that kind of love from you. And moms, I just want to encourage you to pursue Jesus for this kind of love. Because whether you're dealing with sleep-fighting babies or tantrum-throwing toddlers, or 10-year-olds that are peppering you with questions, or teenagers that are totally self-absorbed. They are wonderful, I promise. God made them in his image. He has given them personalities and giftings that are amazing. You get to be a part of nurturing and shaping and raising someone that God made and that God loves. So how do we be wise builders of our children? We love them. All right, our last point. We've talked about laying Jesus as a good foundation. We've talked about the active nature of building. Now let's take a minute to study this last component. In building our kids, we've got to be selfless. If we continue with that visual of building, it should be obvious to all of us, right? That no physical building could be built if the workers just sit around focusing on themselves. Like if a bunch of women in hard hats and goggles and all the things, they came to build a building, but all they did was sit around eating good snacks, flipping around Instagram and watching Netflix, no home is ever gonna be built, right? Because to build something, we have to not think about ourselves, but focus on the work at hand. Building requires selflessness. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is this. Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, if we go through our days living for ourselves, trying to create and hold on to a life that we think is going to fill us up, real satisfaction is just gonna slip through our fingers. But 
if we willingly lay down our lives for the sake of others, for the name of Jesus, we will actually grasp onto real satisfaction. We gotta have this mindset of selflessness. I wanna spend a minute talking about what selflessness is and what it's not. I feel like fear and guilt and our culture, they have done a terrible job all of those, of defining what it is. So we're gonna use Jesus as our example. After all, he was the most selfless person who ever existed, right? Here's what selflessness is not, okay? Selflessness in motherhood is not not taking a shower, not having a quiet time, not spending time alone with your husband, not spending time with a friend, Selflessness is not never getting to eat a meal, never asking for help, never leaving your children in someone else's care, or never being alone, period. That is not what selflessness is. Selflessness is not being the only parent actively involved in parenting. It's not never saying no to your child's demands. It's not allowing your children and their cries to dictate the entirety of your day or the tone of your home. This is not the definition of selflessness and motherhood. But often because of fear or guilt, we think they are. When Jesus was training his disciples, when he was building them up to be leaders of the church and disciple makers themselves, he did teach them to serve others, to lay down their lives. He even said that the greatest leaders are the ones that serve instead of be served. But he didn't say anything about the list I just included for you. He did not say that those were the greatest acts of service. In fact, I'm just guessing here, but I'm pretty sure Jesus took showers. I know from scripture he made time to be alone, alone in prayer, pouring out his heart to God. He prioritized separate time with key individuals that he could be alone with. He involved other people in the work he was doing, and he didn't try to do everything himself. And he was God. He ate meals and went to celebrations. His whole life did not revolve around meeting the disciples every needs and being with them at every moment. And Jesus was the most selfless person ever. So if that's not what selflessness is, what is it? In parenting, Selflessness is being willing to do the hard things. Like telling our kids the truth from scripture when believing it might make them stand out in culture. It's doing the hard thing of lovingly, gently disciplining them when we feel like being angry or unloving or petty or grumpy. It's consistently disciplining them and not giving into the temptation of not following through because we're tired or over it. It's setting boundaries for them and telling them no, even when we know that it's gonna make them unhappy and we are going to suffer for it. Those are selfless things in parenting. Selflessness in parenting is taking the time to connect with your children, to talk to them, to play with them, to read to them, to do fun things with them, taking time to teach them and show them the beauty of God and his truth. Overall, it's doing the long, hard, slow work of parenting with love rather than the easy, short-term work of letting them be mostly in charge of life. And I know this because think about Jesus. Jesus... He told his disciples the truth, didn't he? He prepared them for a world that they would not be easily accepted in. He allowed his disciples to go through hard things in order to learn bigger truths. He didn't give in to what was easy or convenient, but he did hard things with them over and over again so that they would learn. Jesus served his disciples, but you know what? He also taught them how to serve and prioritize other people. He didn't put them at the center of everything. He showed them that other people 
were more important than themselves. But also, Jesus spent time with the disciples and he enjoyed them and he celebrated them and he loved them deeply with all of his heart and his time. That is selflessness in parenting. Jesus built up his disciples this way and he can do it in us too. He can help us. I know that the work is hard because selfishness and convenience They scream really loudly at us. But just like we seek to build our kids, guess what? At the same time, Jesus is trying to build us up. And he can help us to become better and better at these things. All right. So we spent a good chunk of time talking about how to be wise builders. But all this time that we were studying how to be wise builders, we didn't really talk about the foolish woman. And she's half the verse right? A wise woman builds her home. Here's the other half, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. What is there to say about the foolish woman? Let's color her in for just a minute. If the wise woman builds her home by making making Jesus the foundation for everything, a foolish woman tears hers down by making anything else in her children the most important thing. If rules or order, or emotions, or opinions, if anything but the grace and truth of Jesus is the foundation of a child, of a home, it's gonna fall. It's like building on shifting sand, it will crumble. If a wise woman builds her children by actively training them and loving them and being a good example to them, well then a foolish woman tears it down by going about her parenting very passively. She doesn't try, she doesn't teach, she takes the easy road, she ignores, she doesn't intentionally train or discipline, she indulges children's desires, she allows them to basically be in charge. She doesn't make an effort to cherish or enjoy them. Her attitude all the time is a bemoaning, begrudging, frustrated with their personalities kind of attitude. She tears them down by making them feel like they're a responsibility, they're a chore, they're a burden. She doesn't live a life of goodness and truth and grace herself, so she tears her children down by asking one thing of them and living a different way herself. And if a wise woman builds her home, builds her kids by laying her own life down, then a foolish woman, she does the opposite. She's self-focused, self-interested, self-absorbed, self-protected. She does what is easy and convenient for her in the moment, not what's best for her children in the long run. She tears her home down by tearing her children down with her own hands. Now remember, I said at the beginning of this teaching that the Proverbs are a great tool because they send us running to Jesus. So I see the goal in this teaching. I see the goal in this passage. I see and want to be this wise builder. But you know, and I know that so often I am like that foolish woman. I am like the foolish woman more then I'm like the wise one so often. And so I'm here to put your hand and to put my hand into the hand of Jesus. I'm here to encourage you to see the beauty of these truths and then, gosh, run to Jesus to get there. I don't want us to give up on these beautiful ideas about parenting because they feel impossible but I don't want us to strive in our own strength to try and do them either. We have got to run to Jesus, to put our hands in his hands and say, God, I need you to build my home. I need you to make me a wise builder of my girls. Oh, my kids. (laughs) I'm thinking about me, (laughs) my children. (laughs) That's what we need. All right, let me pray for you guys. Lord, I want to pray that prayer for all of us here. Would you help us 
Would you make us wise builders? I am so grateful for your cross. I'm so grateful for your word that shows us the beautiful truth and goodness of your ways. But I'm so aware of how short I fall. And so I'm so grateful for your cross, Lord. I'm so grateful for you, Jesus, who would lay down your life so that we could actually become these kinds of moms. Please, Lord, would you put these truths deep in our heart, but would you even more, Lord, remind us of how available you are to us, that we can come running to you over and over again. Would you help us to put our own hands in your hands and then help us to put our kids' hands into your hands too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary, please visit calvary.com. We hope to see you at our next growth night on the first Sunday of every month at 5.30 p.m. Thanks, church. God bless.